Uh, before beginning my evening message, I would like to make, make a statement uh, to the General Conference. I feel that I owe it to you people, for I have been interested and associated with the Conference from the very beginning of its organization. And that has to do with a question that has been asked me over and over again. What are you going to do in your retirement? Well, let me say this. I have no idea or no plans to retire. We're ch uh, closing a chapter in our book, and it's been a glorious one for the past 14 years, and we've had some wonderful laborers and helpers in this last chapter that we have written. But we intend to start a new book, new volume. We have no intentions of leaving the whitened harvest fields. I want to say this particularly uh, for the benefit of the younger men who sometimes perhaps may become weary in well-doing. There should never be any finish to our work until we hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. As announced in the Progress Journal, our subject tonight is Israel in these times. Now that is, in these closing times, in these last days, the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah were days just prior to the flood. The days of the coming of the Son of Man are days just prior to the coming of the Son of God. And so I, it is my understanding that the expression in these times have reference to the days of the coming of the Son of Man. While we were pastoring the church at Font Hill, Ontario, as president of the Canal Area Ministerial Association, I was asked to speak upon the subject of the resurrection of a nation, or the restoration of Israel, in other words. And after I had finished my talk, and roundtable discussion was following, one of the ministers got up and he said, if that trash is the gospel, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, other men came to my defense, and one man got up and said, anybody that would make a statement like that is not familiar with the Word of God. And that is true. Now, in dealing with our subject, Israel in times like this, are like these, in order to understand Israel's present place in the program and the purpose and plan of God and the great prophetic future which God has for them, we must understand the, some of their background in order to appreciate what God has for them in the future and what he is doing for them in these times. Now the word Israel itself 
is of great meaning. As a matter of fact, all names in the Old Testament that God gave to individuals or to nations have a profound significance and oftentimes indicates the purpose and the work to which God has called that individual or that nation to do. And such is the name Israel. Israel is a compound name. Isra and El. Isra comes from the Hebrew word Sarah, the same word as does Sarah, and means princess. And as you all know, El is one of God's names. Putting those two together, we have Israel, which means in reality God's princess or God's wife. And you know that Israel is portrayed in the scripture as God's wife and one of the most beautiful, beautiful uh, pictures, uh, love scenes in the entire word of God is to be found in Hosea, the second chapter, where God is pleading with his wife to return to him. And he said, I'm going to hedge her in and she'll no longer call me Bailey, but will be call me Ishi, which means uh, my husband. And in the scripture lesson that I read you, in the last verse, it is said that Israel was the apple of God's eye. Now that word expression, the apple of God's eye, really means the pupil uh, of the eye. That is, God sees things through the pupil of Israel. Or Israel is God's eye through which he sees the nations. For in that same connection, he said that when he set the bounds of the nations, he appointed them their bounds of their habitations according to the number of the children of Israel. And so we must think of Israel as the pupil of God's eye or the eye through which God sees mankind. And then, too, we must see, think of Israel in relation to nations, for God deals with nations according as they are related to and deal with and treat Israel. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee, said God, through the prophet Isaiah, shall perish. And so we think of Israel in relation to other nations or vice versa, nations in relation to Israel. And then too, Israel or the land of Israel is spoken of in scripture as the navel or the, the middle land. And I want to turn now to Ezekiel, the 38th chapter, Ezekiel 38 and verse 12. And this is the account of the gathering of the nations when Gog of the land of May, Gog the chief prince of Meshach, Tubal, and so forth, comes down against the, the land that have been, uh, or against the mountains of Israel and the land that is gathered out of the nations and the people that are gathered out of the nations. And here is what he has to say concerning that land. Listen, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Now that word midst means naval land. It's the middle land of all God's dealings. 
and turning to Judges, the ninth chapter, and the 27th verse, we have a similar expression. Judges 9, 37. And Gail spake again, and said, See, there come down by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plain of Meonium. Israel is the middle of the land. Historically speaking, it is the center of what is known as the Fertile Crescent, where five prior civilizations have gone down, and where the present civilization is going to come to its final destiny, uh, terminating in the Battle of Armageddon when God goes forth and fights against the nations. Uh, so these are some of the things that we must bear in mind, along with the fact that Israel is God's covenant people, uh, and he has given in them this middle land as a covenant land. In Ephesians, the second chapter, and the twelfth verse, we have this word concerning this people Israel as a covenant people, that at that time, speaking of the Gentiles, and we might apply this to your to you who are here tonight, for there are just three classes of people that, with whom God deals, the Jew, the Gentiles, and the Church of God. And when a person becomes a member of the Church of God, and I'm not thinking of the Church of God in the sense that we think of it as a denomination, but I'm thinking of it in the sense of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, give none offense to the Jew, nor the Gentile, nor to the Church of God. And when a Jew becomes a member of the body of Christ, he's no longer considered a Jew, but he becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus. When a Gentile accepts Christ, he is no longer considered a Gentile, but he becomes a new, new creature in Christ Jesus, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we must think of the, these people as the covenant people. And let me go on now. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Now this leads us up to the next thought that, as Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. We find that in John the fourth chapter and the 22nd verse when Jesus was speaking to the woman at Jacob's well. Now this briefly gives us a little of the background of Israel and God's dealing with them and the purpose that he has. And this purpose, this plan that God has for Israel is as enduring as the heavens and as the earth itself. I would like to turn to Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, and uh, read a few verses, th verses 35 uh, through 37. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon, and the stars of the light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances 
Depart from before me, saith the Lord. Then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if, there, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all they that they have done, saith the Lord. Now God says that Israel is as enduring as the ordinances of heaven. As a matter of fact, do you know that Israel or the history of Israel is written in the heavens, in the stars? You all have heard about the zodiac. Well, the twelve zodiacal signs were the emblems under which the twelve tribes of Israel were encamped around about the tabernacle. And the four living zoas, or creatures of revelation, and the same ones in Ezekiel, the eagle, the bear, and so on, those were the four emblems on which the, the encampments were around. You take on the, the east. I may be pointing the wrong direction here. But on the east, uh, we're under the encampment, of uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah or Judah. The three tribes had their individual insignias, but then the three were encamped around one of these living zoa or symbols or emblems of the living zoas. And so God's purpose for Israel is written in the heavens and is enduring as the stars. So when we're dealing with Israel, in these times, we're dealing with the very heart of God's eternal purpose with mankind. A good many years ago, before the turn of this century, Elder John A. Cargyle, one of the outstanding debaters of the Advent Christian people, and a very fine people they are, and Dr. T.J. Daniels of the Church of God held a debate upon the restoration of Israel. Elders Cargyle could not see the restoration of Israel. And the reason why was because he did not see Israel in this total, eternal, heavenly, as well as earthly program that God has for people and he's dealing with mankind on the basis of his wife, his princes, even though she may be gone a whoring after other gods or after other lovers, yet he saw her as one that was going to return to him and again call him my husband or Ishi. Now, Israel's history has been uh, a sort of a, a checkered one. She's been in the habit of getting lost, getting off on the wrong road. And let me stop here and interject this thought. And what is true of Israel has been true of the, many of the members of the body of the church as well. For Israel was an example. You'll find that in... Uh, Romans, the 
15th chapter, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And in 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, These all, these things happened unto them for examples, uh, or examples, or types, and are written for our learning. And so what happened to Israel uh, happens to us from time to time. And Israel had a habit of getting lost, getting off on the wrong road, which Scripture calls the broad way, which leadeth to destruction. The narrow way uh, was the way of success for Israel, and the way of success for the Church of God. The nearer we can keep to him who is the way, the truth, and the life, the greater will be the measure of our success. And the farther away we get from him, the less successful will be our accomplishments. Now the secret of Israel's success was living within the aura or radiance of God's presence. And as long as they did, they were on this narrow road that leads to life eternal. I want to turn now to Exodus, the 33rd chapter, and the 14th verse. Here we have these words. Moses was asking God uh, whether he would be with him and uh, uh, continue to lead them, for he had been their leader. He led them by day by a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. And here's what God said to him in the uh, 33rd chapter and the 14th verse. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now Israel, when they followed God, did as he had commanded them, they lived within the presence of God. Now the Israel encamped in their wilderness wanderings. They camped around the tabernacle. Every man's tent was pitched toward the tabernacle over which hung the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And every night when a man would go into his tent. He would go in as the shadow of the Holy of Holies as it were, was cast in front of him. And the first thing in the morning when he would come out of his tent, his eyes would behold the glory of the Lord overshadowing the Holy of Holies in the tent. And so Israel in reality lived within the presence of God. My presence shall go with you. Now there were three things that Israel had to do in order to keep on that straight and narrow road that led to success, led to peace, that led to prosperity, and led to salvation. And by the way, these three things are still available to you and me. First of all, living in God's presence. So oftentimes, so oftentimes, 
we pitch our tents like a man who went down to Sodom. You remember his name? I believe his name was Lot, whose soul, whose heart, whose conscience was vexed with a conversation of the wicked. How could he live and enjoy the glorious presence of the Almighty in the tents of wickedness? So oftentimes, too often, we pitch our tents in places and in under circumstances and conditions that are alien to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. But Israel pitched their tent there in the beginning. Now I'd like to turn to the 85th Psalm and uh, verse 8. Now I'm building up to the present as, or to the future. Psalm 85, 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Now listen to what the Lord has to say. Here is a fundamental principle of true, genuine Christian living. Listening to what God has to say. This is God's word. Oh, it hurts me, it cuts me to the, to the bone, to the marrow. When this word is read, for people to carry on twitting conversation, oblivious to the fact that God is speaking. For when this word is read, God is speaking. And we ought to be silent and listen, for he who is the life is speaking to us that we might be built up in that most holy faith and brought to the measure of the stature of the fullness of his only begotten Son who is full of grace and truth. So, the second thing in Israel's success was listening, heeding, hearing, and obeying the voice of God. And the third one was the recognition of God's sovereign rule over them and that it was God who gave them power to get wealth that it was God in whom they lived, moved, and had their being, from whom every good and every perfect gift cometh, and in whom there is neither variableness, neither shadow of turning. So I'd like to turn now to Malachi, the third chapter, which is the next key to Israel's success and God's ability or willingness to use them. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. 
Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the sword house, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delight from land, saith the Lord of hosts. If you want to trace or chart the history of Israel, all you have to do is to study their giving of their tithes and offerings to the Lord. You can graph their history as they uh, gave their tithes and offerings in recognition of God's sovereign rule over them and that he was the source of all blessings. Success came to them. And the graph rises. Peace came to their land. Prosperity within their walls. And as the Queen of Sheba said, the half has never been told. Now, these same things are available to us today. And I think that we can see the rise in the outreach, in the vision, in the open doors that have come to our general conference as our people have responded out of the fullness of their heart, not for a a blessing as such, but in recognition of God's rule over us and our being kept in the circumference of his guidance and his protection. Now, so much for Israel's past, their presence, or their presence condition. I am not able to say that miracles have been performed in Israel. I believe they have. I don't think anyone could be familiar to the success that has attended Israel as a nation and the success of their arms in the field without feeling believing that miracles were performed. But I can't say that they were as such of God although I believe but I will say this and I believe it with all my heart that they are practicing tithing they are practicing uh, giving bringing their offerings to the Lord because they recognize that God is the God in whom they live move and have their being and I think God will reward them for that recognition and that faithfulness There are hundreds and thousands of Bible studies conducted daily, weekly, in the land of Israel. And the leaders are studying the Bible in small groups. What for? Just determine or find out what God has in store for Israel because they believe that they have a divine destiny. And whether it is a nation or whether it is an individual, 
And I'll speak of individuals now. The individual who doesn't believe that he has a divine destiny will never attain his highest goal in this life. But he who believes he has a purpose or God has a purpose for him and will devote himself with all his heart, with all his mind, and all his strength, and do it as unto the Lord and not as unto man, will find that there's a top rung for him in the ladder of life. Now, as to Israel's future, Israel was called to be a priesthood. And a priesthood is for the purpose of witnessing for God, revealing God's word to the people, standing between the people and God. Now, Israel failed in that ministry. They were unfruitful. For that reason, Jesus said, I'm going to turn away from you and turn to a people that will bring forth the fruits thereof. And he turned to the church. And the church, in the beginning, was a very fruit-producing body. They went everywhere preaching the word. But as time passed, generation after generation came, and days became evil, the hard times fell upon the world, we lost sight of our mission, and we're losing ground today. And the world is becoming more barbaric or more barbarian all the time. In other words, they're more barbarians, more savages, more heathen. I'm using in the sense of people who have not received the word. Their number is multiplying far faster than those that are being reached by the church today. The church, the nominal church, or Christendom as we know it today, has failed in the same way that Israel has failed. And God is going to have to again turn to his first wife to accomplish the great work of carrying the gospel to the nations afar off that have not seen his glory nor heard his fame. I want to read you a few scriptures along this line. In Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and verse 6. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. You remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that he was an abortive, one born out of due time, that is, one born ahead of his nation. Paul was a Jew. Paul was an Israelite, the tribe of Benjamin. And while he persecuted the church of God and did it with great zeal, yet when he was converted... He turned the world upside down. He was accused of turning the world upside down. He was uh, an example of what the nation of Israel 
will do when they're converted and turned to God. Israel's great zeal and their drive to accomplish and achieve in material things will be turned to righteous things when they look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourner for his only son. And she'll say, where did you get those wounds? And he'll say, in the house of my friends. And they'll mourn every man apart. In the 66th chapter of Isaiah, verses 18 19. For I know their works and their thoughts, and it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them. And, he's, and the antecedent of them is Israel. And I will send them that escape unto Tarshish and Paul and Lud that draw the bow to Tubal and Jabin, the isles afar off that have not seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Now, without comment on that, I want to turn over uh, to Zechariah, the 8th chapter, beginning with verse 20. Thus saith the Lord, or thus saith Jehovah of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people in the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, and I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, or ten men out of all la languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. This is a future work for Israel. Now, in summing up, Israel in times like these. Israel in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When we see in Israel, and we have witnessed, we who are here tonight, we who are living, we have witnessed what our fathers, a generation, two generations, three generations ago, saw only by faith. But faith being stronger than sight, they preached with fervor and determination and great zeal the restoration of Israel. Because they knew that with that, meant the coming of the Lord of glory, the Son of God, coming with all the holy angels with power and great glory, taking unto himself his great power and reign, the Prince of Peace, who would bring nations to the point where they would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and when they would not lift up sword against nation, neither learn war anymore, and when every man would sit under his own vine, and under his own fig tree, and none would make them afraid. It was not merely the restoration of Israel that they were concerned in, although they saw the reason why. Because God was going to do it not for their sakes, but for my holy name's sake, just the same as he forgives your sins and mine. And so 
the restoration of Israel or God's great future for Israel is related to uh, the greatest event of all history, the blessed hope, the redeeming hope, the purifying hope. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see every man as he is, and every man that hath this hope purifieth himself as he is pure. And so, in that great message, on the, in the, sermon, on the, or the sermon that Jesus gave, in answer to the question, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Jesus said in Luke 21, when you see the fig tree begin to put forth its leaves, the fig tree nation, and Israel is that nation, know thereof that the coming of the Lord, or the kingdom of God, is nigh at hand. And Israel in these times is merely a harbinger of a better day, the coming of the Son of Man. And may each and every one of us be in such readiness with our vessels filled with oil, that when the cry goes forth, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him, we'll be able to say, Lo, this is our Lord, whom we have waited for. Years ago in Minnesota, one of our earlier ministers, a very beloved man of God, yet who did not understand or see the restoration of Israel for the Church of God in Minnesota was an island in itself we knew nothing about in the early years of the Churches of God in Indiana, Ohio, Iowa, Illinois, and so on. We sprang off from a different branch. But it was not until 1910 that we knew anything about or gave any consideration the restoration of Israel. But one of our ministers said, I'm so busy living a Christian life that I don't have any time to give thought to Israel. I think he was mistaken. We need to give thought to Israel because Israel is God's signed people to the world. Israel is God's fig nation. And when you see that nation living again, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And I trust that each and every one of you will leave this room tonight, this tabernacle, and go forth with a keener sense of the imminent return of our Lord than when you came here. Israel, in these times,